Hello, and welcome back to the Attribution Marketing Podcast powered by LeadsRx, where we help businesses, brands, and entrepreneurs get the most out of their marketing and advertising spend. On today's episode, we have Kaz Ota, who is the CEO at Treasure Data, a leading customer data platform. Kaz really has been a pioneer in the big data space, as well as the open source space. And so we are going to tap him for his expertise and knowledge about how to deal with an ever-growing challenge of consumer privacy, marketing data, and most importantly, what you can do with all that information to be more successful in your marketing and advertising spend. So Kaz, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you? Great, Lucas. Thanks for having me today. Really excited. So I think we always want to start off with kind of that career arc. We were doing some research before the show, and I think you have a a really interesting story that we all would love to hear about. So take it from the top. How did you go from, you know, your career in Japan versus coming over here in America, learning English and reemerging as the CEO of Treasure Data? So walk us through that. Sure. So, you know, I was born in a rural area of Japan called Osaka. And uh, I guess, you know, my family has a little pharmacy business there. And uh, I was born with that family. And I guess I became a businessman because of that influence from my parents. So when I was 21st, I started my own company. It was a software company in Japan. But I had an opportunity to work with Silicon Valley-based software company who scaled from like uh, five, five people to 500 people in like three, four years. And my company was growing. Okay, it was like five people to 40 people in five years. And, you know, after looking at the growth and investment in the Silicon Valley, I was like, okay, I need to come here, right? So when I was 25, I came to the Silicon Valley and started this company, Treasure Data, with two of my co-founders. And my background was computer science, especially HPC, high-performance computing. Uh, my professor, in, when I was in university, has built the world's fastest supercomputer at the time. And I was a part of the team to build the file system for the supercomputer. So if you don't know what is file system, it's a, a data processing system, right? The way you, uh, the system to store and process the data. So. I learned how to manage and process large amount of data. So that became the basis of this company, Treasure Data. Now, I couldn't speak any English when I was 25, but nothing to lose, come here and start the company. And, you know, we got a lot of luck. So we scaled from just three people to now more than 700 people across 20 countries now. And it's because, you know, there's a lot of growth in the data space, especially we saw the opportunity of leveraging customer data in the enterprise. So that's why we're now providing the solution called CDP, Customer Data Platform, which is one of the most fastest growing areas of technology in the marketing space. So tell us a little bit more about CDPs. Talk to us about how that is maybe the next evolution of the marketing tech stack and and why enterprise brands specifically need to be paying attention to their CDP and and how to get the most out of it. Of course, I want to start from my bad experience with one brand. You know, for example, I've been a customer of one cable company for 12 years and I'm living in California. And one day I got this email saying, hey, fiber is finally coming to your house, right? So I needed the faster internet for the work. 
but also I'm a gamer. So I wanted to have a low latency network all the time. So I was pretty excited. So I called in into the call center for them. And then first of all, I needed to wait like 30 minutes. And they're asking my phone number, even though I'm calling from my phone. And they're asking my plan, which I've been using the fastest tier and then highest tier TV and internet service for 12 years. And they didn't know about me. And also, of course, they didn't know about that final plan. So I was so disappointed. So I went to the store, the real world one, and then same happened, right? So sales rep is asking for me, like the phone number, information. They didn't know about the plan. And, you know, I need to wait like 30 minutes. And of course, the sales rep didn't know that the fiber plan exists, right? And then two to three weeks later, I got this email saying, hey, the fiber is not available in your house. I was so disappointed. So the other example is I went to Barber last week and I've been there for almost eight years with the same hairstyle. Uh, but this Barber is asking, hey, what type of haircut do you want? I just... Like, I, I just wanted to say, you need CDP, right? So, <laughs> the, you know, purpose of CDP is how can we know customer in a single cohesive fashion? And it's really the basis as a consumer expectation, but it's really hard for the enterprise because the data is siloed everywhere. You're running probably multiple businesses. I saw some company has like 13 CRMs in the group because they've been growing because of a lot of M&A, for example, right? And that's been a problem. So CDP really is trying to unify all of the customer data into one place. And then you can use the data across many channels, not just for marketing purposes, but also contacts and example, I talked about it, sales rep compliance and privacy reasons, right? So that's the solution we provide. Well said. I think it's a pretty complicated topic, but I think your examples do a pretty good job of highlighting what those use cases are. And I think for each enterprise, they're going to probably utilize that data maybe in a different way. I'm looking at this case study here for Muji, who had saved millions in marketing costs, walk us through how Treasure Data and the CDP really helped them on the marketing front. Of course. So a lot of retailers, Charlie, is first of all, in a lot of engagement is now happening in the digital world, right? So according to McKinsey, well, let's say any business right now, 60% of customer journey is now happening in the digital world. And this gets tripled to the pandemic. So retailer like Muji, they are observing a lot of people is researching the product online. And of course, they have an e-commerce channel so that a customer can buy, but a lot of purchases still happening at the retail level. But the problem is before they come to the store and explore, but then what is happening right now is, especially on the younger generation, they do all the research online and they come to the store just to purchase, right? So this creates the complex problem for the digital marketing. Okay, what am I optimizing? So... The problem first we solved was we consolidated all the customer data, both in digital and also physical channels. And especially the key was their mobile app called Muji Passport. So this allows, first of all, get the points for the consumer so that, you know, they're more motivated to use this app. But the really the purpose is to have an analytics on top of it, connecting digital campaign and a physical campaign 
we can exactly know who is actually coming to which store, what type of product they purchased, right? So by using this data, they built a multi-touch omni-channel uh, marketing model so that they can optimize the campaign. Okay, is this campaign actually working? Is this digital campaign actually influencing the purchase in the retail store, right? So by doing this, they actually greatly improved the marketing ROI through this analytics and implementation of CDP, customer data platform. What, when they get involved in the CDP, is it, is it something where you say, okay, you have these eight independent tools or silos of data, something's in, in SQL, something's in Google Analytics, Facebook over here, your retail point of sale channel, and then Treasure Data or, or a CDP, let's just say, is able to consolidate all that and then deploy its insights and analytics and, and get some value that way? Or is it better stated that, you know, the CDP is, is collecting once it's implemented new data across all those channels? And then after a certain time period, it's able to kind of produce its insights and analytics after collecting its own information. Which of those two is more accurate? Or maybe it's a hybrid of both. Yeah, it's kind of a hybrid depending on the data source. Like, for example, the data like CRM, cards, and point of sales, they tend to have more historical data available already in the database, right? Yeah. So we can take it everything. But for example, the behavioral data, such as web behavior, mobile behavior, right? Or even in-store behavioral data, we can't go back unless it's explicitly stored somewhere, right? So we'll implement mobile tracking SDK and then JavaScript SDK. And when they deploy these tags and SDK into those applications, we will be able to start capturing, but we cannot go back usually. Right. With the, the consumer privacy being in focus, not only for enterprise level, mar, you know, marketing tech stack providers, Google, Facebook, et cetera, as well as regulations in, in Europe, California, et cetera, and all these major markets. What do you think is the future of the battle between MarTech providers that want to know exactly in a deterministic way that Bob is Bob and Bob was here on Tuesday. His interests are X. He lives at this address versus what seems to be a growing call to not have that information. And Bob wants to be anonymous and doesn't want to tell you. How does Treasure Data get past that? What What is the future for this type of analysis if cookies go away and everything becomes anonymous? Yep. I'll answer for the cookie one first. So first of all, just to for the audience, what we call like third-party cookie is tied. So this cookie mechanism is implemented to track the behavior of the browser, but third-party cookie allows a lot of tracking analytics vendors to track across the domain, right? And then Apple has already deprecated this, and then Google's Chrome is supposed to be deprecating in the next 18 months or so. So this prohibits a lot of tracking analytics vendors to track the users across multiple domains, right? And the problem of this is you really can't correlate the behavior and also the conversion. Like for example, if someone is watching the ads or content in certain domain, and then they ended up purchasing in certain website, 
you can't really correlate if it's a different domain. So that puts us a really, you know, interesting challenge for the marketer because now that machine learning algorithm cannot learn that conversion, uh, the ROI for the advertisement or efficiency of advertisement ecosystem has gone down. So that is a huge problem. Now, the trend we're seeing is what we call first-party data, right? So traditionally, so let's take an example like New York Times, right? So they have been relying on cookie to monetize the audience. So anyone can go to their website and looking at the articles for free. And then in exchange, you will see a lot of ads so that New York Times can monetize it. Now, that is becoming really, really hard or almost becoming impossible model for a lot of media companies. So what is happening right now is a lot of media and then brands are trying to have its own customer's data by signing, by forcing users to signing in, right? So if you go to Forbes or New York Times or any website right now, you have to basically register first to see the content, right? So by doing this, obviously, user has to give some information for the media companies or brands, but at the same time, Brands can leverage that data to have a better advertise you by using that, you know, hashed email address or some of the PII information you gave. So that actually gives much higher marketing efficiency, right? So, you know, I'm engaging with a lot of retail companies, CPG, automotive, healthcare, media and entertainment. Right now, they are shifting towards direct-to-consumer or first-party data models so that they capture their own customer data by themselves rather than relying on the third-party data sets such as Google, Facebook, because you have to use your first-party data to get the efficiency of your marketing channel. What percentage of the people that you talk to or enterprise brands maybe of a certain level of sophistication understand that first party concept that they actually have to care about this, collect it on their own, be a custody, you know, to take custody of that information, be regulated for having that information. Yep. I would say the buyers of CDP almost 100% understands this trend because when third party cookies deprecated and when you need to store first party data, CDP customer data platform is the place to store, right? But when you talk about the broader industry, uh, according to IDC, 50% of global 2000 companies, like enterprise company, will adapt CDP towards the end of 2024. So that's definitely happening. Maybe more so for the large company who has billions of dollars of marketing dollars because the efficiency matters, right? Maybe not for like smaller or SMB companies. Also, what we're observing is, you know, right now there's a lot of concern about, you know, ongoing economy slash recession concern. So in our customer base, a lot of marketer is now facing the budget cut or flood next year. And then a lot of their CEOs is asking, okay, is this campaign working? What is, what can we do better for make it more efficient? So. A lot of company is reducing the marketing budget, but what we're observing is they are also increasing the investment into the data and analytics technologies so that they can get more measurement across all of the marketing campaigns. And that's why also CDP, customer data platform, 
is getting traction because we're basically tracking every single channel and customer behavior, right? So that will be required to provide the ROI for all of the campaigns we have. If you would tell us just a little bit more specifically about your multi-touch attribution, either approach or the product, I see you have these treasure boxes. I like the name, by the way, listed on the website. <laughs> One of those is the multi-touch attribution. Of course. So what we first do is we collect the real-time and batch data across the channels, right? Whether it's a web behavior, campaign data, you know, email ops and opens, clicks and bounces and everything, right? And then we also take some conversion data coming in, whether it's a POS data or e-commerce platform. And then by leveraging our identification algorithms, we identify, you know, the customer and then create a golden record of customers. We call it customer 360 view. So after this process, we exactly know which customer was touching, you know, which channels or campaign. And then this multi-touch attribution algorithm will create the weight for each campaigns or channels, right? Okay, you know, it's not like, okay, email actually converts more than others, right? So typically, let's say for treasure data, we have around 10 to 15 touches before they talk with the salespeople on average, right? And then it could be anything like webinars or content download or, you know, looking at the email, right? So we will create the weight for each campaign and then you can calculate back, okay, we close a million dollars, but then a lot of campaigns influencing it. So we will create multiple models around, okay, this campaign could actually worth like 100K and a 200K. 300K, 400K, and then it adds up to a million dollar, right? So that is the core of multi-touch attribution model. It's also customizable. You can make a little bit of weight for first touch, right? What actually generates the first interest or last touch? Okay, what actually make them convert it? So that really depends on how company wants to wait and that we learn it's different from industries or how CMOs thinks about the campaign, but the technology at least is configurable to have different set of models. Great. Well, how much human intervention goes into your methodology? Is there a, a human side of interpreting that data and providing it back to clients? Or do you rely exclusively on AI, machine learning, and what the data tells you? Yeah, so I would say AI and data will actually perform better when you have a lot of data, right? Obviously, if you are, let's say, B2B company who have, I don't know, 200 to 300 customers, each are paying a million dollars or two, it's actually really hard to make a pattern based on the AI and the machine learning algorithms. I see more opportunity of leveraging technology for you know, B2C company who has hundreds of millions of consumers typically, right? And also at the same time, you know, content side is more of the art, right? Okay, what type of, you know, content or marketing or wording is actually influencing the buyers? 
that's being said, you know, with the evolution of some of the language model like GPT-3 or chat GPT, you already saw like a lot of content actually can be generated automatically by those AI and content. We also saw a lot of AI can now generate the patterns, right? So a lot of CPG directly to consumer companies are leveraging those AIs to generate like thousands of patterns or videos and images about a specific product and AI will automatically optimize what type of banner ads, like the colors of background to the font, right? They're, they're, they're keep optimizing it. So there is a fine balance between human and AI, but you know, over time, if you actually have billions of data, I think how to leverage AI and machine learning is more of the productive conversation versus if you don't have a lot of data and you, you should probably rely on your gut more. Yeah, well said. I think if you, if you have the science experiment to, to render the answer, you rely on the science. If, if you don't have statistically relevant data, you can rely a little bit more heavily on human intuition and, and insight. I think shifting gears a little bit here, just curious to so some of our audiences in the entrepreneurship space. And I was, I had two questions for you. The first of which is, you know, tell us about your, your return, as far as I understand, back to treasure data and the, the investment from SoftBank, if you're able to just talk us through what led to that investment, what your, what your plans are for the future and how that sort of deal came together, that would be amazing. Yeah, that is a really interesting question. You know, I was starting this company as a CTO, chief technology officer, run this company for almost eight years. And we decided to sell the company to the company called Arm, which is chip company. Everyone is actually using ARM technology. So if you actually look at, you know, your mobile phone, 100% of the chance, it's actually ARM-based, right? I think everyone knows Intel for its own CPU, but ARM is actually dominant CPU IP provider for the mobile phones. And when we decided to sell the company, ARM's ambition was to expand their product portfolio, not just from hardware IP, but also the software. But what happened was... Uh, NVIDIA, the GPU company, and coming to ARM and saying, I actually want to acquire you, but I don't need the software side of the business. So Treasure Data was, uh, long story short, carved out again at an independent company. You know, unfortunately, NVIDIA's acquisition didn't go through the regulation. That was a different story. But, you know, data was acquired and then become independent again. I actually quitted the company after 18 months of acquisition. Uh, because I thought, okay, I was doing good job on merging two companies together, Treasure Data Arm Arm. And I was told, okay, let's split again. So I'm kind of a little bit burned out at the point. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so after that happens, you know, maybe nine months to a year, I was looking for next opportunity as an entrepreneur, of course, looking at, okay, what is my new business? Right. And then, you know, sometime in early last year, Masa and Ken Miyoji, who are the two top four people at SoftBank, came back to us and, hey, you know, we actually want founders to run the company again. One, there's a huge opportunity in the data space, right? And then two, they truly believe the power of founders running the company because, you know, Masa himself, 
is a founder and then created more than 100 billion dollar plus by himself, right? And, you know, I was a little bit hesitant because I thought my journey with treasure data is done. But the more I think about it, yes, data is exploding anyway for next 10 years, right? And probably more. And also when we looked at the opportunity, right? So on the earth, there are 8 billion people and 4.5 billion people are internet connected. Treasure data actually has like fair amount of people's data inside our system, combining 450 brands we have, right? So we have an opportunity to influence billions of people's life much more, you know, easier and convenient and provide better experience with customer data. But at the same time, we need to be, you know, promoting the ethical use of customer data, like we discussed from the privacy perspective, right? So we need to be a custodian of that data. And if you look at the marketing space, data and also privacy are the two fastest growing areas. And then CDP slash treasure data was intersection of it. So long story short, I saw a huge opportunity. And, you know, we're already a hundred million dollar plus ARR annual recurring revenue. And then if you look at, you know, global 2000, we probably have 50 of them. So we have 1,950 companies to go, right? So that's a huge market opportunity. And for me, I've got your work. Got your work yeah, cut out for you, sir. It. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. And I was a CTO, but next career, I wanted to be a CEO just to take on more, right? So that also matches to my ambition as well. My previous co-founder is CEO, Hero, has now four kids. He's like, so I cannot do CEO full-time anymore. So he became chairman. That worked out really well as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Kaz, and for being on the episode. We would just want to encourage you, let our audience know where can they get a hold of Treasure Data? How can they follow you on Twitter or LinkedIn? Just take an opportunity to, you know, promote yourself and the brand and where you should send folks if they want to learn more about what your offer is. Of course, to learn more about Treasure Data CDP customer data platform, please visit www.treasuredata.com. www.treasuredata.com. So I'm also personally helping a lot of entrepreneurs and marketers how to get more efficiency, how to build a business, right? So I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Just search my name, Kazuki Ultra, and then please say hi. And then saying, hey, you actually listen to this podcast. So I'm happy to connect and help you. Amazing. Thanks again to Kaz Ota for being on the show. If you want to learn more about what they have going on, please go to treasuredata.com. This is the Attribution Marketing Podcast, signing off.